I had to sacrifice a season to be able to get on point with the season. Mm. No, so my only advice for people that's trying to get into the business, no matter what it is, do your research. Because a lot of my fails happen because I didn't have the proper research. You know, when you're incarcerated, you can only get but so much information. And when I came home, I thought I knew everything and I didn't know anything. My graduates from my school being Forbes, bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> <laughs> mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. All right, guys, welcome back. EYL, we back home. It's been a minute. Very rare, exciting. <laughs> um, so this this is this is an interview that is really dope for a variety of different reasons. Yeah. But Daryl Austin. So one of these things that we always talk about being at the right place at the right time. We're talking about Invest Fest coming up, man. It's very important to put yourself around the people that you actually want to connect with. So we were in LA, shout out to BT, mm -hmm. and we were at the BT um, house, house of BT, yeah. and we interviewed uh, Nini Leaks, shout out to her, <laughs> and um, we were about to leave because we had to go to Miss Diddy's event, shout out to Miss Diddy. So long story short, a few people you know, connected with us, like yo, da 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 da, and it was one gentleman for sure, Daryl, who I'm not sure how he got to me, but he met me, and he was. it was very quick. This is why it's important to have an elevator pitch also. The same thing happened, ironically enough. I'm actually wearing Eastside Golf Jordans today. Shout, Shout out to Eastside Side Golf. Golf. And they, they met us at a hotel lobby, and um, type of similar situation. Yeah, sister ran up on us. They ran up on us. Yeah. It was interesting because when I met Daryl, he was very concise. I think he showed me some pictures. He's like, yo, I got a luxury brand. Mm -hmm. We about to go into luxury stores and i was on um nick cannon's show yep. and um i'm like oh his podcast he was like nah his show his tv show before it got canceled i'm like oh that's interesting so he showed it to me and it was a it was a very quick you know, presentation but it made a lot of sense to me and it was interesting to me so i'm like all right let's get it done yeah. hit abdullah he, he called me at the front of the stage right <laughs> and did us met us in the back of the stage it wasn't even you it was your man like yo no came, my man my man caught him he was like yo we came i from, caught you we, called, we came all the way from philly this has to happen bro and i think we walked all the way to the car like yo we're gonna make it happen yeah like all right let's do this <laughs> but but the thing i liked about it and we'll talk about the brand but so it's a luxury brand and so if anybody follows me, you know I do the drip report, legendary drip report, where I chronicle my outfits. And um, like I like these like Goodman shoes. Like I like come from that era where it's like Prada's, but like real simple dress type of shoes. So when he showed me these, and I'll show it to you if you can see it. Yeah. These are these are one of the the products. Um, they reminded me of that. Whereas like you can actually wear it to you know a club. You could wear it just chilling. It's like it's very versatile type of type of shoe sneaker um, combination. So I like the product. That's another reason, and I like the story too. Once I and now even hearing some more about the story, I even liked it even more. So that was like two weeks ago. I said, "Are we gonna get you on the show?" Two weeks later, we here. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for joining us, brother. Appreciate thank it. You for having me, I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Fan of the show, man. So I appreciate it. Long journey here. He said he's willing to go anywhere. You know our next three stops. You got to. <laughs> you already know. You got to. So let, let's get into this. So, Bungie Alachin. Alachini. 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 That's how you pronounce. Say say it correctly. Bungie Alachini. That's the name of the brand. Yeah. Okay. That's the first question is, what does that mean? Why did you name it that? All right, Bungie. It was for all the ups and downs of my life because you know, at a certain period of my life, I would do really well. 
You know, I was out on tour, I was rapping, and then I'll get locked up. So now I'm back down at the bottom of the barrel. And I get out of jail, get back out on the road, start rapping, then I'm back in jail. And it was just a nonstop up and down part of my life. And then even after I came home from prison, I started this business. It just seemed like everything was up and down. You know what I mean? Like I didn't really know what the future was going to be. It was just up and down, up and down, up and down. So Bungie, to me, represents all the ups and downs in my life. And I knew that other people were going through ups and downs as well. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just me. So I felt like Bungie fit everyone. And then um, I came up with Aplicheni because it's a synonym of apparel. I went to a trade show. I had actually had a, a table at a trade show. And um, when I got there, everyone it was either apparel or wardrobe or something like that. And I was like, I got to come up with something a little bit more creative. It was the rapper in me. Mm -hmm. It was like, nah, I'm not going for that. So I ended up, uh, you know, Google searching synonyms for apparel. And I couldn't find anything. And I started searching other languages. And then Aplicheni just stuck out. And then I had to figure out how to say it. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I thought it was Aplacini, but I just knew that the wording just looked good together. Yeah. You know, so I ended up searching how to say it, and Aplacini it is. So uh, there, there's been barriers with that, I'm sure, right? When people think, and you said that to us, one of the things we talked about was like, yo, just simplify it. Yeah. When people hear the name, I'm sure they were like, wait, you need to change this, but you didn't. So what, what was it that you said, you know, I got to stick to my guns on this? Well, I think that for the most part, um, you know, I hear it a lot. Like, people are like, why don't you just call it Ablacheni? Why does it have to be Bungie? Yeah. And then it's like, why do you have to have Ablacheni at the end of it? We can't even pronounce it. What mm -hmm. if people see it and they can't search it? But I just kind of feel like that's what's in my heart. Mm -hmm. Like, that Bungie Ablacheni, it, it, it brings back so many memories of like when I was incarcerated, when I was going through all the different things. I lost my grandfather when I was in there. I come home, my grandmother doesn't remember who I am mm. because, you know, she had Alzheimer's. So it's like, you know, so many different things that Bungie represents for me that I just couldn't get rid of it. It's like uh, Balenciaga. Yeah, you know how to say that. You, you know how to say out. that. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? For sure. Matters, you know how to pay for it too. Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Find a way. Yeah. All right, so let's get this backstory. This is a very interesting backstory. So you're from Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. outside of Philly, right? Yeah. Um, what's the exact area? Paoli, Pennsylvania, like 10 minutes from Coatesville. Okay. So you grow up, and at what point do you do you get incarcerated? I got incarcerated when I turned like 22. It was like right after I turned 22, that was my first, first taste of prison. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then from there... It was an ongoing in and out of jail type situation, right? Yeah, it was the same thing that Meek Mill was going through. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, you, you go to prison, you come home, you're violating pro probation and parole all the time. You know, they'll put like a crazy curfew on you. If you miss the curfew, they catch you, you're done. Mm -hmm. um, I never did drugs. I never drank before. But I, what I didn't know at the time was when I'm bagging up my work, I didn't realize that it was getting in my system. It's getting so your Yeah, so whenever I would go do a urine test, oh. it was coming up hot, but it wasn't really hot. So they, they let me do that like two or three times before they bagged me and I had to go back to jail for six months and stuff like that. So it was like a constant in and out. Like if I crossed state lines, I wasn't allowed in the city of Philly. I had to stay in my area. If I got caught out there, you know, I would go back to prison. So I, I went through that my whole adult life. Like I just got off parole like a year and a half ago, two wow. years ago, something like that. So, so what, what was the longest stretch that you was in there? Six and a half. Six and a half years. Yeah. So, and you've been home for seven years. Yeah. All right. Almost, almost. So, okay. so you're going through the system, in and out, parole violations, getting locked up, getting violated, getting locked up. You were actually in jail with another alumni, friend of ours, yeah. Wallow. Yeah, Wallow. Shout out to Wallow. Wallow 267. Shout out yeah. to 267. And so, at what point do you say, okay, this is enough, I'm tired, because a lot of people have similar situations, right? Where it's like, 
it's hard. You, you really can't get a good job. You, you know, you're going back and forth and, you know, it's just, it becomes a vicious cycle. You might have kids, you fall in the child support situation. You can actually go to jail for that before. It's, it's, people don't realize how easy it is to keep, to keep going back to jail once you kind of fall in that system. Um, so at one point you say, okay, this is not for me. Like I'm doing something different. Well, first I felt like the whole time that um, I wanted to do more of my life and I was selling drugs to be able to get to that point because I just felt like it was the fastest money that I could possibly get. Mm -hmm. um, so I always knew that I wanted to do something more, but when I got caught that last time, um, I started losing family members because I, I was gone for that six and a half years. So it's like once my grandfather passed away, his last memory of me is getting dragged off his porch and getting peed up by the police. So it's like after he passed away, I ended up having a conversation with my mom and she's like, listen, I don't know what you're going to do with yourself, but right now they're doing background checks for people that, you know, that are trying to get jobs for mm -hmm. when you're trying to move into a place. Whatever it is that you got to do, there's a background a check attached to that. And she was like, the only way you're going to be able to survive out here is if you create your own business. So at that point, you know, I just went back to the cell, man. And I, I prayed for the first time. I never really was a religious dude or nothing like that. I prayed and I was like, I don't know where I'm, I should go with my life but I just need some sort of guidance and I just left it at that mm -hmm. and then like two hours later I wake up something told me to sketch I sketched a pair of sneakers and it looked like I took the sneaker and placed it on the shoe that's how good it was I never sketched before in my life mm -hmm. so once I seen that I'm like damn maybe I can just make a living sketching you know sneakers I didn't think about a sneaker brand at that time I was just focused on sketching sneakers and um you know, I kept showing all the different, you know, walkies and sellies and stuff like that. And they're like, yo, like, you need to think about doing your own brand. So then I ended up creating my own sneaker. And then, you know, I just started asking people their opinion. Like, what you think about this? What you think if I added that? What if I take it off in, this? In jail? Yeah. So you created your own sneaker on paper? Yeah. You didn't physically have a sneaker. You no. Just, you, yeah. just, you, you created, yeah, just created it, it. The idea. Yeah. And then what happened was I didn't, I wasn't really a great artist because I just started while I was there. So when I used to go out to the yard, I used to take a keyboard with me and I used to just, you know, make beats. And I used to have all the rappers rap all the time. But this one time I went out and I was like, you know, I'm going to take a couple packs of cigarettes with me and I'm going to walk around and every one of those dudes that are sketching, I'm going to give them a pack of cigarettes to teach me something. Mm. So that's, that's how like currency in jail. Yep. Yep. So after I started doing that, I stopped walking with the keyboard as much and I just started going around just picking information from people. So it's like I would get this artist that would show me how to do shading. This artist would teach me how to like make it where like if you turn it to the side, it'll look this way or if you sketch it this way, it'll look that way. And then after I did that and I, I honed in all those, on those skills, yeah. then I started looking for people that I would see out in the yard with business books or people on the block that would have business books. Yeah. And I would sit down and talk to them about business plans and all that, because you gotta remember, I never went to college. I went to high school and that was it. So um, at that point, I just started introducing myself to different people. I was also the barber there, so I used to talk to everyone as I was cutting their hair. Yeah. So I was gaining a lot of knowledge from people in prison. So you got the, the architect skills from walking around, you got the business ideas and you had a license to, to be a barber yep. all in the same time. Yep. So you're maximizing your time. Absolutely. So who's the person that, obviously when you start the sketches at, at the height, how many sketches are you showing and who's the person that's like, look, let's sit down and really draw this business plan up. Is it, is it somebody or is it, it multiple wasn't, people? It, it was multiple people and everyone that I talked to was like, yo, you're not supposed to be here. Like you running around doing these different things. You, you, you're supposed to be out there doing something in the world. You're not supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. And Every time I heard that, it was from different people, but they were saying the same thing, but just a little bit differently. So I was like, man, like maybe I need to figure out how I can get out of here and then drop jewels to these dudes that are incarcerated after I get out and get successful. So 
as of right now, you know, I go back and I donate my time to the prisons and I speak to the inmates and I tell them, you know, what my philosophy was and how I went about accomplishing what I accomplished. Mm. I know I speedballed that, but it's like the most smartest people that I ever met was in prison. Like, it's crazy how it is and how creative you can get when you just don't have anything around you. You know what I mean? Mm. So, like, there's just some really smart uh, people in prison, man. Definitely. So, your mom said something that was very insightful. She said, you just said it. Um, she said, the only opportunity is to start your own business. What was, what was the exact quote? She told me the only way that I'm going to survive out here is if I create my own business. And I'll never forget that she said that. Yeah. And this business, like, the other part is that you've never had a job nah, in your life. Never. Right? Well, it was 14. It was selling drugs and rapping. Mm-hmm. Then you get locked up, go in and out. But you never had. So the business is the first time you're ever going to be, not even employed, but making money yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Well, that's that's a very insightful commentary on her part. And, um, yeah, it's something that, it's the harsh reality. It's the harsh reality, right? Because it's like, especially, you know, having felonies, going to jail, thing thing on nature. Yeah, of course, there's always going to be, you know, people that find a way that, you know, but for the most part, your job opportunity is limited. Job opportunity is limited now anyway. Yeah. But yeah. especially with that, so it's like you're stuck to, you know, a minimum wage type situation. And what is that going to do? That's going to force you back in the street, right? Yeah. You can't even buy enough. You can't even make enough to actually support yourself. So the harsh reality is like, if you don't have your own business, you're going you're gonna to be screwed. Yeah. So for her to even say that to you, like that's something that's very, very insightful. So, all right. So you get the information in jail. You start doing sketches. You start learning about business. Start reading books. Start educating yourself, different things of that nature. When do you actually launch the company? Um, I came home from prison and I come home to a new world. Facebook, Instagram. I never heard of any of it when I was in prison. You, what, 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 yeah, what's the time period? You said I seven years home, ago? I came home to end of, like, when was it? I got to the halfway house, I want to say, in like 2015, something mm-hmm. like that. Okay. Yeah. So it's like I had no idea any of this stuff was even going on. Yeah, so Instagram you know is here. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter, all that's yeah. here. And I had, to, I had to figure out how to use it. Yeah. You know, and I was like, I remember like the very first time I was going to post a picture, I felt like a nut because it was like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, first of all, where I come from, you don't put your business out there like that. And I'm seeing people like, yeah, hey, I'm over here. I'm doing this. <laughs> and I, I just couldn't relate to that. Yeah. So like the very first picture, I'm like, I was over there. People think that I was over there, but I'm really over here. So I took that picture over there and I posted it later. Yeah. So like I did that for a while, like, you know, because I just couldn't get used to telling people what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like, um, you know, once I ended up getting to that point where I kind of got used to the, to the uh, you know, Facebook and all. Um, and I still to this day have never used Twitter before either. I never t- used Twitter or TikTok. I just I just can't get to that point yet. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, to get to the point, um, I ended up launching. I want to say, or I didn't even launch. I bought samples for like the first three years. I didn't have enough money to be able to even get an order in. You know what I mean? I just didn't have the money and I didn't want to go back to selling drugs again because I didn't want to go back to jail. Mm-hmm. So for the first three years of me being home, I was just getting samples and changing the name and going back and forth for different ideas. And then, you know, finally that one day that guy came in the barbershop yeah. and he was like, yo, do you have, uh, his name is Ernest, by the way, I won't call him that guy. <laughs> Ernest comes in the barbershop and he's like, yo, like, do you have these in the size such and such? And I was like, nah. And he's like, well, what do I need to do to be able to get them in this size? And um, I was like, I need like 10 grand to be able to get it going. Yeah. And um, he was just like, you got a business plan? I was like, yeah. He was like, meet me at Starbucks tomorrow. So I was like, all right, bet. So I ended up meeting him at Starbucks. 
And I remember it like yesterday. He was reading this, and I remember my heart was pounding. I'm like, this could be my opportunity right here, right? Because mm-hmm. I knew that all I needed was like 10 grand. So he's reading the business plan. He gets to like the first two pages. He's like, I'm going to give you 14000 I'm like, all right, can you finish reading the business plan? Mm-hmm. So he ended up going another couple of pages. He's like, I'm going to give you 20000 So I'm like, all right, well, finish reading the business plan. So he gets all the way to the end of the business plan, and he says, I'm going to give you 50000 Ernest, what's going on? Look, check this out. We're going to do something really special for y'all. I know y'all enjoying this episode with my brother, Daryl Olson, and his luxury sneaker brand, all right? So here's what we're going to do. When you head over to bungiebrand.com, we're giving you $50 off your purchase of men's apparel, women's apparel, and footwear. That's $50 off. Here's what you got to do. Use the code EYL. That's us. EYL. It's real simple. $50 off and get your drip on. You know how we do. Drip responsibly. And he was like, meet me at the bank tomorrow. I'm going to show you how to get the EIN number and all that. Because he asked me if I knew how. And I was like, nah. And he ended up taking me to the bank. And he put the money in there within two days of that meeting. And that's how I got my start. So that's that's pretty incredible. Shout out to Ernest. So the picture, he's, he, you have the shoes on display in the barbershop. Mm-hmm. So people can come in. They can actually see the barbershop. Well, I didn't do it for the people to see. I, I was doing it because you got to remember, I was a bench warmer. I just came home. Right. I'm, I'm in there. No one wants to get in my chair. You know what I'm <laughs> so saying? So you, you was a barber. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, a barber. Yeah. So no one wanted to get in my chair because no one around there knew me as a barber. They knew yeah. me as a drug dealer. And yeah. That was it. So no, like they would bypass my chair and go to the other dudes. So I would just put the, the sneakers in the window and just look to see like, what can I change on it? What can I do to make it look better? Like, you, you know. So you watching people walking by, seeing if they getting interested in it. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. This one is gonna be. This gonna work. Yeah. People keep stopping. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's how it works. So the yeah. first, so you said the sample. So you just like getting like one off from like China or something like yeah. that, and just yeah, like I went you- to Alibaba.com. <laughs> I found a little manufacturer right there, yeah. and uh, you know I was getting samples. And the thing is, like when you get the samples from these places, they're expecting you to place an order. And I wasn't placing orders, so they were like, nah, we ain't doing no more samples for you. So, so you do like 10 at a time. Yeah. So I would have to do I'll like other, I would have to do other manufacturers. So I would have like seven samples, but from seven different <laughs> factories. You know what I'm saying? And they all expected you to have Yeah, and they all expecting the bulk order, and I just <laughs> didn't have the money to do it. Next so like for anybody that's... They go find another one. Yeah, yeah. Check the reviews. Yeah. For anybody you know that's not familiar with Sam, so it's like, what he, so like we get our stuff made overseas, and um, like before we actually decided we were going to work with this guy, like we gave him like a cup, like a tracksuit, hoodie, t-shirt, da da da, and then he made like let's say like ten pieces of clothes for us, mm-hmm. sent it to us. We paid for it, but he sent it to us, so that way we can check the material, mm-hmm. see if it's right, go back and say, nah, this is off. Need to add something here. That's what he's referring to as far as like samples, right? Yeah. yeah. But but. They're expecting it to be like, all right, now now we're going to order a thousand pieces. Yeah, yeah. But you was just like, all right, I'm done to the next point. Yeah, because yeah, I, didn't, I didn't have the money to yeah, do it. Yeah. I had enough money to get the samples made. And, you know, like a sneaker sample is different than like a hoodie and a T-shirt and stuff. Yeah. It's a lot more involved with it. And I didn't know that involvement at the time. You know what I mean? I'm thinking they make sneakers. I send them a sketch. They tell me what materials it is. They, they let me know everything because they already make sneakers. Yeah. But I didn't realize that, you know, you have to hand pick every single thing of right. your shoes. So, like, my, my samples were just what they created off of my sketch. And, um, you know, we were getting a lot of people looking at them just because it was new. But one thing that I learned and I had to learn the hard way is I had hundreds of people coming through that barbershop at that time and they would all be like yo I want to size such and such I want to size this I want to size that so I based my order off of how many people were saying that they wanted them once I got them back no one wanted Nobody them wanted <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm chasing game. them down like hey yo like remember you said you wanted to size 9 they here I don't want them 
Like, I'm good. I'm good. So, like, you know, to me, I feel like trying to get people to wear your sneakers is equivalent to trying to get someone that's been going to a certain barber and trying to get them to change barbers. Like, with you guys, you guys wear Jordans all this time. Trying to convince someone that loves Jordans to wear a different type of sneaker is hard. You know what I'm saying? Because they never heard of you. They don't know what the brand is. And it's like, you know, I remember when I first uh, got my sneaker samples and I put them up on Instagram. And this is when I thought I was popping, right? All I kept seeing was all these different comments saying, what are those? <laughs> what are those? And my dumb ass is sitting there hitting them back. Like, yeah, this is the new bungee out the chimney. And I'm thinking that one of those are a, is a compliment because I didn't know what that meant. And then, you know, one of my homies hit me up. was like, yo, they playing you, bro. Like, stop responding. Like, I mean, he's kids these days, man. Yeah, and it was crazy. And the one thing that I noticed is that, like, Everyone that, that made those comments, I would click on their page to see who they were. And they all had Jordans on their page. Yeah. So I knew right then and there, anyone that likes Jordans, they're not going to like my brand. You know what I'm saying? It's just that simple. Yeah, so when you send the samples, and even putting them up on Instagram, because it's almost like when we put up apparel, it's like we have to trademark the apparel. What is that like? Do you have to make a patent for that design? Or do you have to trademark the design? How does that work? Yeah, it's, in this, it's, in tricky, it's tricky with shoes because there's only but so many silhouettes that you can do. Mm -hmm. So what we experienced was you couldn't really trademark the silhouette you had to trademark like the design of it or the the logo on it mm -hmm. and sometimes you can like patent or trademark a color but mm -hmm. it has to be a color that's not already out there you mm -hmm. know what i mean so you got to create your own so like for me it's like when i actually looked at it it was only a certain amount of silhouettes so it's like every silhouette is going to be similar yeah. now that's one thing that i was impressed with with yeezy like they came out with their own silhouette and did right. their own thing changed again yeah like and he changed it for real like yeah. You know, and, and for me, being as I have my own brand, I don't really wear anything else but my stuff. Yeah. But, like, I had the cop. I had the, I had the, I always grab the stuff that doesn't look normal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm really surprised with how many people will not wear something that's not normal until they see someone else wearing it. Mm -hmm. And that's Val the validation. Yeah. And that's the difficult part for me because I'm the kind of person where I can walk into a store. And I can scan the room and I know within three seconds if I want that or that or that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'll grab it and I'll keep it moving. There's other people that are out there that I'm realizing that it's like it's going to take them a long time. They don't know which color to get. They like this shoe, but they like, you know, I don't know. Do you have it in blue or do you have anything to wear with this? Like I know right away what I'm going to do. And then the other thing that I didn't realize that people do is they want to know backstories. It's like for me, I don't care how, you know. Gucci got the beginning. If I like a Gucci sneaker, I'm grabbing them. Like I, I never really took the time out to like do that kind of research. So mm -hmm. I'm really surprised that people do that much. Yeah. So it's like, you know, when it comes time for us, it's like, number one, they look at me as being a black-owned business, so they equate black with being cheap. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's just a harsh reality. Yep. And every time someone sees my merchandise in person or actually touches it, they're like, oh, how did you do this? You know what I'm saying? How, how are you able to do this? And like at trade shows, like black people will actually come up to me and say that. Oh, man, how, how did you get to this? You own this? This is your company? Yeah. And they just don't understand that a black person can have a quality sneaker. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, apparel or anything like that. It's much more difficult to do. But, you know, they just automatically assume that we're going to have something cheap. Like, it's, it's crazy. So you, you get to 50000 yeah. In your mind, you're thinking like, oh, this is enough, yeah. right? Because I, I, I thought I made it. Yeah, you've been scrambling yeah. with yeah. what you had. And yeah, now you got it. 50. So what's the process now that you got the 50? What, what, what's the next step? What I did was I ended up placing the order with China. And um, I ended up getting uh, the sneaker order. And I was in for a rude awakening because I had no idea that I had to pay for customs. Mm. I had to pay for, for import-export tax. I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. All I knew was when I got my samples, they would make them and they would send them to my house. 
So I thought it was going directly to my house. It was nothing like that. Um, you know, I had to pay for cargo ship. I had to pay for the space on the ship. I had to pay for truck drivers. Like all these different things I didn't equate. Mm. So by the time I ended up getting the sneaker order back, I remember Customs ended up taking the package because I was a new business and they wanted to search it. They ended up searching. I had to pay them for searching it. And then um, I remember hiring a trucking uh, service to pick it up and take it to my um, storage facility. And... Um, I got to the storage facility and I was like, I'm almost broke. I remember saying it. I was talking to myself, bro. As a matter of fact, I was on Facebook Live. And I remember saying it like, yeah, you know what I mean? I made it. Check it out. Look, look. And, um, you know, everybody was all like cheering me on. Like, yo, that's crazy. You did it. Blah, blah, blah. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I ran through that 50, but I got about a quarter million dollars worth of stuff here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I remember after I got off Facebook Live, I opened a box up, opened a sneaker up. And I'm like, what the F is this? Because it was polyurethane leather. It wasn't leather. It wasn't the same leather that they used on the samples. Mm -hmm. They basically got my order. They got the money. And then they gave me the cheapest leather that they can get so they can make more of a profit. You sent, you sent them the whole 50000 Nah, nah. Oh, okay. I, like, the way that it was, I think it was like 28000 for the whole order. Then it was like, you know, 10000 to get it shipped over here. Then it was like, you know... 2000 with the import export stuff and like it, it all broke down to damn near 43,000 or something like that and the product was and it was it was trash so what'd you do I was trying to sell it anyway stepped on stepped on and I was one of those dudes I was one of those dudes I was running around saying yo this is top notch this is top quality yo check this out and at the time I didn't realize that you know those dudes that buy top quality stuff know that it's not top quality so, you know, I, I equated it to like the music business. Sometimes when I used to do the music thing and I'd be able to walk into a room with someone major that can put me in a good position. Sometimes you only got that one time to get their ear. And if it's not right, you're not getting their ear back. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I felt like around my way, I kind of messed up my reputation with the clothes and the sneaks that I was getting. Because I was literally that dude that was going to buy Gildan tees. I would go to a little pressing place at the mall or something, press my name on it, and be like, yo, I got a high-end brand. Gildan's still in the back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got a high-end brand. I didn't know any better because, again, you know, I came from prison. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, trying to make So, yes, yeah, so I'm thinking I got this high-end name. I got a high-end brand now. So, after I ended up doing all that, um, it didn't work out for me, and I didn't sell anything, and uh, no one was really buying except for, like, the core people that really wanted to help me out. I didn't really sell much of anything. So at that point... You're moving them hand-to-hand, -hand, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. selling them hand-to-hand. -hand. I'm selling them out the barbershop. I'm going to my man's barbershop. Like, people are getting to know who I am and what I'm doing, but they just wasn't fans of the sneakers. Okay. So, um, and then a couple of people would buy hoodies and stuff. I was only selling $25 hoodies and stuff like that. So it wasn't, you know, anything that was that much. So if they wanted to support, they would. But what happened was... Um, it just got to a standstill one day where I couldn't sell anything. And I remember that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And when they won that Super Bowl, we're in there watching the Super Bowl parade. And one of the customers in there turned around, looked at me, and was like, yo, if you had something with the Eagles on it, you'd be rich right now. So as soon as he said it, I, I started brainstorming. I started sketching the Eagle sneaker. So I ended up getting the Eagle sneaker made with the last little bit of money that I had. And then I ended up borrowing some money from a friend to be able to get it shipped over here. And what I did was I did it a little bit differently. This time I ended up getting them flown over instead of by sea. Because by sea it took like 34 days. Then customs saw it. They intercepted it. And it was a whole bunch of unnecessary stuff. So I ended up getting them flown over. So it got like sent directly to my house. So um, I ended up with like 250 sneakers. That's all I could really afford. And um 
the next day I woke up at like six o'clock in the morning. They were talking about doing a pep rally down at Fox 29. So when they did the pep rally, I'm like, yo, they doing the Eagles pep rally. I'm going down there. So I went and got a little U-Haul truck, put all them sneakers in the back. And I drove down Center City, which is about 35 minutes from my house. And um, I remember walking up the sidewalk with a wagon. Like it was a wagon literally with boxes of sneakers on it with an Eagle sneaker in my hand. And as soon as I walked up, you know, the newscast people were outside. As soon as I walked up, they was just like, yo, like, what, what's that? And then next thing you know, they were putting me on TV. People are catching the bus down there. People jumping out their cars, grabbing their pair. And I'm just out there hustling, mm-hmm. not realizing it's illegal. I wasn't supposed to be selling no Eagle sneakers. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, trade, 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 trade yeah, I didn't get permission from the Eagles you to do logo? that. It was like somebody on it. Was it like the logo? Yeah, the logo, everything. Oh, damn. The lo- everything. I'm going to show you guys a picture before it's <laughs> over, right? So, Nick you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I had the whole thing. I had the Super Bowl the tag and everything on it right so you know i ended up selling out that day so i ended up making a lot of money back you know i mean like i was literally going back to the truck stashing money in the truck because i didn't want to get robbed out there and i'll run back out finish hustling so i ended up selling everything except for like four pair something like that how much did it cost to make those sneakers at that time it was like 32 dollars to make a pair to make a pair and i was selling them for 175 You know what I mean? But you, when you add in the shipping cost and all that, it came out to be being more. like 60 something dollars a pair. Yeah. yeah. So like a hundred dollar profit margin. Yeah. Good margin. Yeah. And, they, and I, I was always told you're supposed to mark up at least three times. Yeah, yeah. And I understand now because even like in my position when I did the Foot Locker deal, like Foot Locker is only going to pay like 45% at max of the retail cost. Mm-hmm. So it's like I really only made like $20 off of Foot Locker off of each pair. You know what I'm saying? But it, for me, it was the exposure. It wasn't really about the money. But it's like those are the things that I had to, I had to learn through trial and error. Um, but after I ended up doing the Eagles thing, I'm like, bet, I'm going to go. I'm going to go get more Eagle sneakers made. I'm going to kill them for Christmas. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, football season is still in during yeah, Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking I'm going to do that. And um, literally like two days after I blew up off of that, I'm at the barbershop and I had my new samples on. And a guy came that I knew and asked me if I knew someone that wanted a TV. And I'm like, nah. And he was like, yo, like I got this TV. My boss is giving away. You might wanna you might wanna take this or give it to somebody. It's really nice. So I'm like, all right. So I ride down there and I was explaining to you before. Like yeah. the, the dude's crib was huge. The fence opened up like this. I drive up the uh driveway, the driveway's a mile long. It got animals on both sides of the gate. And I was just blown away because I didn't realize that this kind of house was even in my area. Cause I, I lived in my area and I never left. I was never really on a plane before, nothing. Like I just stayed in my hood. That was it. Mm-hmm. So um after that happened, I go inside, we're picking the TV up, and his boss's wife comes out. And she's like, oh, my God, where'd you get those sneakers? And I put the TV down, my elevator pitch. You know what I'm saying? You know, yeah, I did this, I did that, and I broke it all down to her. And she's like, well, do you have a website? And I, the website was trash. Mm. Website was trash because it was just, I used my cell phone, I just made a website real quick. And um, she still liked it enough for her to get her employee to call me back and set up a meeting between me and her husband. So um, me and her husband met at his house, and um, you know I basically explained to him like, listen, I don't want to waste your time. I was formerly incarcerated, and he wanted to know what I did. It was all drug charges. I had weapons charges too, and um, he was like, you didn't have a good lawyer, did you? And he laughed at me. I'm like, yo, that's not funny, man. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, he was like. <laughs> Yo, I'm not worried about that. Like, what's going on with your business? What is it? And I told him everything that was going on. And that's when he told me I wouldn't recommend you using those Eagle sneakers again. Like, you'll get in trouble for that. So I was happy that he told me that because I'm like, if I would have got another order and they would have got seized or something, I'd have been done. That would have been my last bit of money. You know what I mean? So after that, by the time we got done, you know, talking for about two hours, he was like, I know someone that was in your shoes just two years ago and he's a millionaire today. 
He didn't do fashion, but he was just starting a business. And um, he was like, I really want you to meet him. He might be able to guide you some sort of way. So at this point, I'm not thinking about finances. I'm not thinking about getting anything from them except knowledge. And, um, you know, one thing that I, I was basing this off of is like I was telling you earlier, you know, coming from prison, you come back with a lot of bad habits. So I didn't know how to sit and sort in a room with people and communicate. You know, what I mean, I had all the slouching and the, yeah, you know, what I'm saying. Uh, uh. So it was like I had to learn all over again how to communicate with these people. So I'm in these boardrooms and I'm looking at how they how they're, they're folding their hands and how they're folding their legs and how they're talking and communicating. And I just would mimic it. And that's how I started to get into these big rooms. I know how to handle myself just from copying off of their, their stuff. So um, I get into this conference room and I'm talking to the guy that I'm thinking that I'm talking to for for the meeting. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking, people are just slowly coming into this room, like putting their briefcases down and all that. So to get back to what I was saying, um, there all these people are coming into the room, and I had no idea who they were. You know what I mean? So I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep entertaining all these different people. And so the guy comes in. He comes in. He's like, yo, did he get a, did he get an opportunity to tell you guys about a story? And they was like, nah. And then um, I just told them everything that I just told you about how I created everything in prison. And they were all blown away with it. And they're like, yo, like you designed this while you was there? And I was like, yeah, every single thing you see on this table was all designed while I was incarcerated. So um, even this, the, all this stuff is all, you know, stuff from when I was incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And um, they were like, how much money do you need? And I was like, seven grand. And they laughed at me like, you only need seven grand for real? Like, We're going to put you with these financial people. They're going to tell us how much money you need. So, um, you know, after that, they was like, oh, you interested in telling your story? And I was like, no, because it's embarrassing to talk about being in prison. And um, they were like, look, man, you need to tell your story and share this with the world because you may be able to inspire someone. And you may be able to chase someone away from going to prison in the first place. So I told them that I would do it. Shortly after that, um, I ended up getting with the financial group. I didn't realize at the time I was in a real live shark tank. So fortunately for me, I knew the business well enough to be able to break it down to them. Mm -hmm. And they all congratulated me for a good pitch and all that. And uh, I ended up leaving out. I met with the financial group and they decided that I needed at least a million dollars. And I laughed. I'm like, who's going to give me a million dollars, bro? Like, cut it out. You know what I'm saying? So, um, Don't play like that. Yeah, so they ended up getting with the investors, and the investors agreed, but they were like, we're not going to do a million. We'll do 750 just to see you know, if this works out. Mm. And that was like the beginning, but it wasn't, it wasn't all good after that. The bungee still was bouncing up and down. So, so it was like a private equity firm? Yeah, yeah. They, um, they're actually IT people. They never invested in, in fashion or anything like that. I was the first guy. And the thing that I liked about these guys is you know, they came at a time where um you know they just wanted to help a black owned business so they didn't really try to knock me over the head with a large amount of percentages like i still own the majority of the business um they gave me a lot of money towards it and they still gave me a lot of the equity of the business and i appreciate it so yeah. it's like they became your angel investors yeah and they took a, they took a percentage of the company and they gave you money yeah were, were there other strings attached to it or you had fr free range to kind of no, Still. no strings attached. They just, you know, they just wanted to see me successful. They gave me the money and they gave me the connections. And they were like, "Listen, whatever you need to do to go find better manufacturing, go ahead." So I ended up flying out to Vegas to one of the uh, manufacturing trade shows, and that's mm -hmm. how I ended up meeting the companies I deal with. So now, instead of the whole China 
you know, polyurethane leather. <laughs> now I'm dealing with Italy. I deal with uh, Portugal. I deal with Spain. So I have all those type of guys, you know, with me now. And there's a couple high-end sneaker companies that go through the same factories as mine. So, so, you, <clears throat> so you get the, obviously you got the 50 and this business scaled up and now you got the 750. I didn't get the 750. You didn't get the 750. Nah. They just invested. Nah, they told me that, like, we were going to do 750. Yeah. And then after we ended up talking about that, um, they gave me a small amount. I think it was like twenty five thousand just to be able to get my office started, get gotcha. furniture, get embroidery machines, and all that stuff. As a matter of fact, it was more than that because I got a, the embroidery machine was much more than that. So I ended up getting all these different things in the office and furniture. And right after I got the last desk screwed together, I ended up getting a phone call telling me to turn the news on. I turned the news on, and Donald Trump said, "We got to shut down. It's COVID. Uh-huh. We got to shut down for two weeks." So when I got that phone call and we had to shut down for two weeks, I'm talking to the, the main investor and he's like, yo, like I've never seen anything like this before in my lifetime. I'm not, I'm not putting anything else up. I'm not doing anything business-wise. We need to figure out what we're going to do. So at that point, I got scared because I'm like, okay, he's nervous. They don't want to give any more money up now. And now I'm basically back defending for myself. You know what I mean? So what I did was I locked myself in for that two weeks. I locked myself in my office. And I just worked that whole year because it ended up going from two weeks to much longer, as mm-hmm. we all know. Yeah. And I worked that whole year. And right before the lease was up, uh, the, the lead investor asked if him and a couple of the other investors could come down just to see what I was doing. And when they came in the office, they were blown away with everything, like with the way that the office looked like. It had a showroom in there. I had all the sneakers up. I had, you know, uh, clothes that I ended up uh, creating. And again, I never went to college. I never went to design school. I went to YouTube University. Mm. That's how I learned how to use my sewing machine and all that stuff. So, so you're making the clothes in the, the shop? Yeah. What I do is I make the original yeah. thing, and then I send it out to the manufacturers. Gotcha. They just copy off of what I do. Yeah. Is it just you? So, like, you're doing this? I'm thinking, like, maybe there's a team, but is is it just? You oh no, I have it? a team okay. now. Okay. But at the time, I didn't have a so team. It's 2020. Yet. It's just you. Yeah. Locked 20. In. It was just me locked in the in the office. So um, I ended up. Um, you know, creating all these different pieces. And when they came in, they were just like blown away with everything that they saw. And it was like, there's no way that we could cheat the world mm-hmm. by not letting the world see what you're doing. So at that point, they're like, look, go ahead and get your first shoe made. So I ended up designing a shoe called the Camarillo, which is kind of similar to the black one over there. But um, it has like python. Yeah. Yeah. But it has python on the toe. It was all white. Was, with the, yeah, with the okay. Yeah. It was all white. It had uh, suede on it and it had python on the toe. And... um. I ended up releasing that first to a a shoe store called Blue Soul Shoes. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time, I couldn't get any shoes to eat. I mean, any stores even want to deal with me at all. So what I did was um, I reached out to him and I was like, listen, you know, if if we can get, you know, some press around this release, is it possible for us to be able to get into your store? So he was like, yeah, yeah. So he let us get into the store and Channel 3 came. I remember it like it was yesterday. They came and they gave me 10 seconds. I'm like, hey, how you doing? My name is Daryl Lawson. I got a brand called Bungie Abacheni. We just released in uh, Blue, Soul, uh, Blue Soul Shoes. And it's really important to me because I created this in prison. Over. It was over after that. You know what I mean? So literally the next day, I ended up getting a phone call from one of the uh, TV anchors off of that show. And they have their own show. So they interviewed me on that. And right after that, Channel 6 started calling, Channel 10, 17, 29. Next thing you know, I, I'm doing interviews with all these different independent you know, local shows and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just building my, my brand. And I really was only doing it at first because I wanted to show all the people that saw the cheap stuff. 
I wanted them to know, like, yo, I'm not doing cheap stuff anymore. Like, this is real now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, I think I lost them because people around my way, they don't rock my stuff. <laughs> like, everywhere outside of that, they wear my stuff. But I think I might have uh, messed my name up with the people around the way. But anyway, um, after that ended up happening, Inside Edition called. So I did Inside Edition. After Inside Edition, then Fox News called. And Fox, when I did my Fox News interview, it was all business. And at the time, I was just learning business. I didn't know anything about return on investments and all that kind of stuff. So they're asking me all these questions. And I'm like, uh, 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 uh. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to say. So after that, I started getting all those hate emails from, you know, the, you know, the people that follow the show. And they're like, yo, you need to go back to prison and, you know, get effed and da 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 And maybe you'll learn your business better. Like, they was grinding me up. So at this point, I'm insecure. I don't want to get on TV anymore. But then the Today Show hit me up. When I did the Today Show interview, like, or, you know, when they hit me up, I was like, I got to do it. I got to try to, you know, make a comeback off of this. And they gave me a nice amount of time. And with that interview... Um, the guy, the CEO, uh, Dick Johnson from the CEO of Foot Locker, he saw the interview yeah, yeah, yeah. and he reached out to my camp and was like, listen, you know, we want to, we want to put him in Foot Locker. Now at this time, I just started hiring employees, which was the first time that I ever had to do anything like that. I'm not realizing that resumes are that important, you know, so I ran through a couple of different people and was like, nah, I can't, I can't have you here. Like, mm-hmm. so now I finally got a team that, you know, I can trust that I love and um you know they they bust their behind but we ended up doing the Foot Locker launch the Foot Locker launch at King of Prussia Mall was amazing even with COVID going on we still had four or five hundred people waiting online to see the new products so we ended up having a really really good event so shortly after we did the Foot Locker event I get a call from Fox 29 which I did the, the interview with Fox 29 earlier and they were like yo like Nick Cannon just got his own TV show and um we really want to you know surprise him with a with a pair of your sneakers and I'm thinking to myself, like, damn, they could have got in touch with Nike, anybody, but they called me. So I felt special. So I felt like if it's a Nick Cannon shoe, I got to go all in. So I ended up making his image on the white sneakers, the, the white Camarillos that yeah. are up there. So I put his image on there in leather, had, the, you know, the suit material and stuff on there. I called one of my guys up. They ended up helping me out. And, um, you know, we, we killed the sneaker. And they gave me the opportunity to present it to him on Fox 29. So when I got out there... He's like trying to figure out who I am, why I'm there. He's looking at me all crazy, like, who is this dude? And um, I finally walked up to him on live on TV. I gave him this box with this big red bow on it, and he still didn't know what it was. And he opened the box up, and he was just like, yo, like, you put me on here. Like, this is crazy. He was like, who are you? Where did you come from? So when I started, like, they literally only gave me, like, two minutes to, to, to say what I needed to say. So I said everything about the prison and all that. And um, he was so blown away that by the time we went to the next commercial, I'm like, all right, man, nice meeting you. He's like, nah, man, give me a hug, dog. So I gave him a hug. And then um, he walks over to the side with me and he's like, yo, like, where, where, how did you start this? And then I had other sneakers for him. I had a different color of these. So I gave him these. Mm-hmm. I gave him like three other pair. And um, he was like, I just want to know how you started this, man. He was like, I see a lot of people with clothing brands, but I've never seen anyone with a sneaker brand like this. So I told him what I did in that split couple minutes. And then he was like, yo, give me your numbers. So I gave him the number. I'm like, Nick, you know you're not going to call me. You're about to pull one of them. Uh, what's the boy's name that was on um, Martin? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Tommy Davidson's yeah. dude. He's like, if you was in L.A., you'd be on my show. <laughs> like, I, I told I was like, don't Varnell Hill me, man. Varnell don't do that to yeah, me. Yeah. Don't Varnell Hill me. Nick. He was like, I'm not, man. I'm telling you, I got you. So he was like, all right. So I left. And by the time I got to my office, 
he had already texted me saying that he was going to, you know, get back at me. And then his producers called and was like, yo, like, we want you to come to the show on Monday. Nick's really excited. He wants you to be on the show, like, ASAP. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I ended up um, leaving the office or whatever, got everything set up for that Monday because it was literally like a Friday. And um, I ended up going to the show. And, you know, Nick treated me like I was the star. Like, I, he had me feeling like I was the one. I'm, I'm supposed to be happy to see him. But he, he treated me like royalty, man. It worked out. So after we ended up doing that interview, it just kept, like, spiraling out of control, like, with all the different things that was happening. And that's why I knew that I was supposed to be here. When I made that prayer all the way back when I was in prison, and after I made that prayer, everything is just, is just flowing smoothly, even if I have a little downtime it goes way back past what i could have ever expected so right after i ended up doing the nick cannon interview um i ended up going to a neiman marcus and they saw the the sneakers and the clothes that i had on and wanted to know more like you're walking into the store and somebody yeah what happened was they was actually having a neiman marcus event and i had this bright orange oblicheni sweater with an oblicheni tee underneath of it and then i had my sneaks on to match the the the, uh the sweater and uh when i got to the top of the escalator it seemed like everybody just went like this (laughs) and i'm like i don't know what's going on but you know yeah so next thing you know everyone started to talk to me everyone wanted to take pictures and stuff like that and then um i got with the general manager of neiman marcus we had a meeting um, and then they saw like the cardigan sweaters and stuff that I had in the back of the Zoom, yeah. and they was like, "Yo, we 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 want we want to do something with you." So in your mind, right, as you're you're, you're looking at these events, you're very intentionally going to these events, mm-hmm. right? Are you just saying, "Let me design a fit that's going to make draw people's attention," or are you just saying, "Let me just come fresh"? Like how, how I just you, come fresh, just come fresh. Yeah, I, I just come you. fresh, and it just seems like everywhere I go is like, "Yo, what's that?" Yeah. Yo, how, how did you get that? What What is that? And it's always my stuff. So it's like I get the chance to explain what it is. So, so when they said they want to do something, with show, explain that story. How did that story go? Well, we were just trying to figure out a collaboration. We didn't know if we were going to do like an in-store event. They didn't know if they were going to carry my merch. And, you know, what was crazy was that I tried to like shop it to them before. And they were like, nah, you're not ready. And this is before I got the, the Italy connects and stuff like that. And then I just, you know, got something with Vibram Souls. So a lot of these sneakers are going to have Vibram Souls on them, which is what a lot of the major uh, people use. So my stuff that's in production right now, all I have Vibram Souls on it is going to be just like any of the other high-end brands that's in Neiman Marcus. Mm-hmm. So we were just trying to figure out if they were going to actually purchase the merchandise and sell it. We were just going to do a, you know, a day's event there, but it ended up going way past what I could have ever expected. And then the next thing you know, I get hit up by Banana Republic, and then they want to do a joint venture. So I'm trying to do something with Banana Republic right now as well. So we have a lot of things going on business-wise. So, so as you, you're getting more exposure, I'm assuming that the business, the sales are picking up. Are, were you prepared for that? Because a lot of times people go into business, and we always talk about being prepared for success, right? Like when you didn't have the website, it was like, yeah. damn, I, the moment's here, but I'm not ready. Yeah. Where at that time, as the business is scaling, you get more exposure. Were you cemented in being ready for this moment? I wasn't because what my mistake was is I would get a nice sample mm-hmm. and I was so excited about the sample I'm starting to post the samples. So now people are hitting me up like I want that, but I didn't have that. I only have this over here. Mm-hmm. So then when they go to the website and they don't see that, it's like, well, where's that? You know. So and then when I finally get the stuff, it's like months later because with sneakers, it's not like apparel. You can get your apparel back in two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes within 30 days you can get your apparel back. But for sneakers, that takes six months, nine months, sometimes a year to develop. So I'm thinking that I'm going to have this shoe ready for release in the spring, and then it doesn't come until the fall. 
So now I got spring colors and that's going in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how picky people were. It's like, yo, I'm not wearing that. It's wintertime. I, I, I need a dark sneaker. Mm-hmm. But I have the light sneaker now. Like, <laughs> I don't want that. You know, I want, the, yeah, yeah. I want the dark sneaker. So it took me a couple of years just to catch up with the seasons. You know, like even when I was getting my hoodies and stuff, I would order the hoodies like a couple months before the wintertime. But I was so picky in particular about what I wanted. I didn't get the hoodies back until spring was coming. Mm. You know what I mean? So now when I'm trying to go to these stores to try to shop my stuff, they're like, look, we're, we got T-shirts and shorts out here. Like, you behind. So it just took like a little. As a matter of fact, I had to sacrifice a season to be able to get on point with the season. Mm. You know, so my only advice for people that's trying to get into the business, no matter what it is, do your research. Because a lot of my fails happen because I didn't have the proper research. You know, when you're incarcerated, you can only get but so much information. And when I came home, I thought I knew everything and I didn't know anything. So it's like, you know, I didn't know anything about finding our demographic because I'm thinking to myself, everyone's going to wear these shoes. I didn't know I had to pick a demographic that we were going to start marketing to. I didn't know anything about, you know, male or female stuff. Like I'm thinking I'm going to make, you know, a line that caters to male and women, but it doesn't work that easily. Like it it was so many different things that I had to learn um, that was like difficult for me, you know, in this particular process that it's amazing. You so, know? so you're in Neiman Marcus now, October. October. Yeah. How many stores? We don't know yet. Okay. We're still we're still working on things out. Um, at the moment, uh, all the stuff that's going in Neiman Marcus is still in production. So we're still trying to like iron things out. And you know, so you'll be the first black designer black owned sneaker, sneaker black company. owned sneaker company yeah. to be in. Like, Neiman you know, Marcus. of course there was off white and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah. I I own my company. I'm not going through anyone else for distribution and stuff like that. We handle everything in house. So. What made you, once again, going back to this luxury brand, because we see a lot of what, quote-unquote, urban clothes, whether it's, you know, you don't really see too many sneakers, period, but, you know, hoodies, T-shirts, things of that nature, and if it is some footwear, maybe maybe sneakers every once in a while, you see a pair of sneakers, but like I said, these, these they remind me of, you know, those sneakers that are in, like, Nordstrom, Neiman Markets, Goodman brand, stuff like that. Um, what made you want to go luxury higher end? as opposed to streetwear all right a few reasons the first one is because with the streetwear i started to notice that with our people everything kind of is like a phase you know what i mean they usually jump on it and then they phase you right out i wanted to try to get past that i didn't want to be like you know looking like i like you're played out after you wore them from one summer the next summer it's like what are you doing what are those what are those i didn't want that and then the second thing was, you know, again, I started off as a rap artist. So for me, every time I hit that stage, I had to make sure that I had the freshest stuff that I could possibly think of. And I was a high end type dude. So I wanted to make sneakers that I knew I would wear. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not going to wear any, any cheap stuff. Even when I used to buy Jordans and stuff back in the day, I would paint them. So that way, when I go to wherever I'm going, it doesn't look like everyone else's stuff. Where I wasn't paying, I would pay somebody to paint them. And, you know, it was just, you know, I, I just like stuff that is different. And in certain ways, it hurt me because I'm trying to develop things that are totally different than what people are used to seeing. And if people aren't used to seeing it, they'll say stuff like, it looks really good on you, but I couldn't pull that off. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. so I kind of hurt myself at the same time as me trying to create this. And, you know, again, I, I just kind of feel like, I'm more of a leader when it comes time for what I wear. I don't care if I see someone else wearing my stuff or, or not my stuff, but a certain thing. Mm-hmm. If I like it, I'm buying it. So I created this brand for the people that are, are fo- I mean, leaders, not followers. 
So if everyone else wants to follow later, that's fine. But I made these for people that want to step out and be different. And it's very simplistic too. Like I said, I, like I was actually looking for a pair of white sneakers like that, shoe sneakers, and um, that's the kind of shoes that I like, where it's not too much going on. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like whether it's blue, gray, sky blue, whatever, and like these in line with that. So this. It's funny that you say that because I, when I first started out, I felt like my name had to be on everything. And it was the people that I, that I value their opinions on that wear high-end stuff that's like, bro, like, no one's going to be wearing Ablachini all the way across the side of the shoe. <laughs> like, they're not going to do that. So I, just, yeah, so I just got into the, to the habit of not even putting anything on it. I just yeah. left them blank and Ablachini's on the inside. Are you, are you still designing shoes? I know you said a lot of these, these, these models have come from when you were in prison. You were drawing up the sketches. Are you still designing? Because I'm sure there's, there's one shoe, which is like your bestseller, mm -hmm. and then you have a, a few designs. How, do you keep it simple, like maybe just five yeah, designs well, a season? Well, How's that work? Well, I design still, um, and I hired a designer too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, him and I collaborate back and forth. So I have I have a nice little team, and, you know, we all collaborate now instead of it just being me. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, we design pretty much every every day. Um, I feel like I'd rather have 5,000 designs rather than us just designing something for that season. Mm -hmm. um, I remember in the very beginning, um, when I first uh, started out, I would literally just have the sneakers that I needed for that release, but I wasn't prepared for the next season, mm -hmm. you know? So now it's like I have stuff for summer 2024 right now. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of us getting to whatever it is. And I want to be able to like put all of our work together and be like, which one is the best? You know, so is this better than this? Because this is 2024, and it's better than 2023. I'm going with this one to go for 2023, mm -hmm. and then we'll develop something else for 2024. So that's pretty much how we do it. Um, what is the price point for the sneakers? Well, when we first started with the manufacturers over there in Spain and Italy and all that, the price points was the, the cheapest shooter I had was 325 And... This, again, goes to the fact that I didn't know how to do certain business. And what happened was I have sneakers at a minimum of 325 footlocker calls. They're like, look, we're going to go ahead and rock out with you. You can keep that price point. But all my people are like, there's no way you're going to sell $325 sneakers in footlocker. It's not going to work. So I had to take a huge loss and put these $300 sneakers in footlocker for $175, $170, $190. You know, so... That's pretty much what I had to do. But now with Nima Marcus, now I'm back up to like the $500 range, you know, because these are all stuff that I'm getting produced right now. So no mm -hmm. one's really seen them. I did show you guys like at least one or two pair of them. Mm -hmm. But like those prices are going to go anywhere from, from between $500 and $775. And the $775 pair, we're doing something special with that where that very first order that I told you guys about that I couldn't sell, the polyurethane leather. Mm -hmm. Well, I have the original sketch to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to package the, the, the original sneaker that I made back in the day mm -hmm. along with the original sketch. And then you're going to get the sneaker that's $775. So I'm putting all that in there as one package. So like I look at it like, look at it like this. You guys love Jordan. So like let's say if you had a drop that had the very first sketch of that Jordan and the very first Jordan that never came out, mm -hmm. whether the material is weak or not, it's a collector's item. So that's pretty much how I'm looking at mine. I, I just want to be able to make it so it's a collector's item. Yeah, start from the top. Yeah. I feel like, you know, there's always, there's different, there's different avenues for different people. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we talk about luxury brands, whether it's watches, whether it's cars, whether it's clothes, whatever, like, we always, tr like, discount black. Yeah. We, black is more, like, just affordable. 
mm-hmm. where that's cool, that's needed as well. But why can't there be black on the high end? Well, what I think happens, and we talk about this in the barbershop a lot when I go to get my cuts and all that, we have this discussion all the time. And I think what happens is when you think about Italy, everyone thinks quality because mm-hmm. that's all they usually see from Italy. Yeah. You don't never see a white person or any other race running around trying to sell stuff in the street. Mm-hmm. That's number two. Mm-hmm. Number three, most of the time when you get something in the barbershop in the street, it's mostly bootleg. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So our own people are used to that. So whenever someone comes up and tries to sell you something out the trunk of their car, you automatically think that it's either stolen or it's cheap. So we kind of put ourselves in that situation. And that's, again, the reason why I'm always amazed when people come up to me at trade shows and they're like, so you own this. Do you work there or do you own this? But it's also propaganda media, too. Because imagine, like, shout out to 19 Keys. He had posted something like about media. And it's like, you know, even what we do with finances, all the reports are like black net worth is going to be zero in mm-hmm. 2030. Right? And it's like black unemployment is two times more. And black. So it's like when you constantly hear those those narratives, whether it's true or not, you develop an opinion yeah. that black people are broke, black people don't have any money, black people make poor decisions. Whereas if it was the reverse, imagine if all the reports are like black net worth is on the rise, mm-hmm. black home ownership is on the rise, black crime is down. Mm-hmm. Once again, whether it's true or not, you automatically start to formulate positive opinions Absolutely. and you'll start to change the way you even behave, mm-hmm. right? So it's like even these countries where it's like you take a country like Italy, or, or Paris, and it's like, these countries, then everybody's not wealthy. There's a lot of poor people in these countries. There's a lot of infrastructure problems in these countries. These countries have a lot of issues, immigration issues and everything. But the image that's been portrayed to the world is only luxury, mm-hmm. beauty. So that's what we, where we take countries like Africa, in, in Africa, whether it's Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, whatever, the image that's been portrayed to the world is poverty mm-hmm. and war and different things of nature. It's starting to change now with music, Afro beats and stuff like that. But for a long time, that's the image. And when you take our situation in America, the image that's been portrayed is boys in the hood yeah, and paid in full. And you know what I'm saying? It's drug dealers, it's gangs. So that image has not only been portrayed to us, it's been exported all across the world. So imagine if it was different. Imagine if like black excellence, if we really yeah. like push that black mm-hmm. excellence and show people in, you know, suits and, you know, it's just the whole vibe. Right. So now you start to actually start thinking that you're worth more. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like a lot of times like it, it goes back to your self-worth. If you don't think you're worth anything, then somebody who looks just like you, you're not going to think that they're worth anything. Absolutely. But somebody that looks completely opposite, you automatically put them on such a high value. And it's like they're they're worth way more. Why? Because they're white? It's, it's crazy that you say that. I went to a high school because I was giving a, um, a, a lecture at a high school. And um, I had my assistant with me, and she's white. And after I got done giving a lecture, I was like, yeah, you know, you guys can you know, reach out to me through DMs or whatever, and I'll try to help you guys get your, your plans in order mm-hmm. to be able to try to you know, create a business or whatever it is you want to do. And once we got done that lecture and I said that, they immediately all ran over to her. And she's like, why are you coming to me? I'm, I work for him. And they was like, no, you don't. You, you got to connect, right? And they just couldn't believe that it was me that had to connect. You know, yeah. So it was like, it's, it's amazing that you say that because that's pretty much how it is, too. Yeah, so so you're, you're in Neiman Marcus. I'm wondering if there's going to be scaling to other 
luxury good stores, Saks Fifth Avenue, Bloomingdale's. Well, that's the plan. That's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. And, and in terms of that, right? So you, this is happening during COVID. So everybody supply chains have been affected. Mm-hmm. Everybody's inventory. So what was that process for you? Obviously, growing at a time where there's going to be delays in shipments and inventory can be rattled by all these types of things. How did, how did you manage? Well, the way that I did it, fortunately for me, I got lucky in this process because I already had the merchandise when they decided to do deals with me. Mm. When Foot Locker came, I already had the merchandise. So I, all I had to do was just sell it to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came time for the Neiman Marcus thing, it was a little bit different because I don't have the merchandise. And once they, they said that they wanted to do it, I had to like rush and try to hurry up and get the stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the difference. So now I'm hoping, that's the reason why I don't have an exact date yet. Mm-hmm. We're thinking October because I'm assuming that I'm going to get everything back by September. But if for some reason things get held up, that may get pushed back. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of you know giving that information prematurely, mm-hmm. but I'm so excited about it and I had to share it with you guys so it's like you guys yeah you guys are the first guys that even know about this so and if you guys are around in october come through philly man and and come out that'd be a huge huge thing yeah yeah yeah, for sure yeah before we leave can you just quickly tell a story about bernard hopkins another philly legend yeah yeah i ended up um meeting bernard because a a customer came into the barbershop that i was working at at the time and i had these boxing sneakers on they were my boxing sneakers i created and the customer was like yo i got a meeting with b-hop tomorrow you want me to call him and see you know if if it's cool for me to bring you you can show him your sneaks i'm like yeah like hook that up so um the next day we go bernard said it was cool the next day we go in and i was only supposed to get the last five minutes of the meeting so um when i get into the meeting immediately he's like where's the sneaker guy tell him to come in Mm -hmm. we're at this restaurant so he's like yeah i want the sneaker guy and i'm like yo you said the last five minutes i don't want the first five minutes he's like yo come on man if you want the if you want to talk to me come on so i came in with my bag i pulled the sneakers out i put them all on the table and um he was looking like and and now that i know him i know how sarcastic he is i know what he was thinking when he seen it and again this was my first sneaker thing with the polyurethane leather and all that so uh he's looking he's like gabby Gabby and Gabby's the owner of the restaurant he's like when I wear something like this and Gabby was like nah so B-Hop tried to play it off like I'm too old for this I would never wear anything like that I'm too old so I'm like alright man I just asked you one question before I walk away and he was like what's up now this time it was only about 45 seconds into my 3 minutes or 5 minutes or whatever it was and he was like what's up I was like how did you get from being incarcerated getting off parole and then becoming the guy who you are today and then, you know, he just kind of looked at me like, how did I know that he was even incarcerated? And um, he was like, what made you ask me that? And I was like, well, I asked you because I was at Graterford and I saw your mural on the wall. And right now I'm on parole. And I'm just trying to figure out how I can, what type of steps that I need to do to get off of parole to be able to get my business going. Because I created all this stuff while I was in prison. And he was like, you did what? You created all this while you was in prison? I said, I didn't make them while I was in prison, but I created the business while I was in prison. And um, he was just like, yo. I'm not doing the other meeting. Come on, let's go to the gym. So we ended up going over to the gym. And he was like, listen, whatever T-shirt you have, give them to me. Whatever sneakers you have, give them to me. And he got in the ring, started dancing around with the box of sneakers, started giving me a little promotional video. He took pictures in the clothes. And he was like, listen, man, he was like, you remind me of my little brother. He was like, the way that your hustle is, the way that you speak to me, the way that everything is, you remind me of my little brother. And um, or not, I don't know if he said little brother, but he said his brother. And uh, after that, he was just like, yo, like, you know, if you want to know the information, I'm here for you. So the next day, he calls me at like 4 a.m. And I'm like, oh, hello. 
And he's like, yo, wake up. Get the sheets out your ass. You trying to be <laughs> successful? You need to get your mind right right now. It's too, you, you laying in the bed. So I woke up. I woke up, got dressed, went and met up with him. And he ended up taking me to Neiman Marcus. He took me to Saks Fifth Ave. He took me to Boyd's. He took me to all these different high-end stores. And he was personally picking the sneakers up and was like, listen, if you want to be successful in this business and you want people like me to wear this, you got to get your stuff on this level. And at that particular moment, I didn't know how to get to that level. I was just like, all right, cool. And then I started asking the manufacturers that I was using if they had this you know, type of material. Because I would literally go to Neiman Marcus or I would go to Saks Fifth Ave and I would pick the sneakers up. I would Google search what the sneakers are, what they were made of and all that. And then I would hit my manufacturers up and be like, yo, do you have this? Can you make my sneakers out of that? Mm -hmm. And then when I realized that they couldn't, I'm like, okay, I'm, I can't deal with these factories. I got to find something else. And then, you know, it's a very long story that I'm not going to get into on how I got to the next level of manufacturers. But my man, Rob Purvey, which is the guy that you met, Rob Purvey, he's like, um, a sneaker guy who he helped develop the you know the Kobe's the first Kobe's he helped develop Allen Iverson's shoe he worked with Reebok he worked with Adidas he worked with M1 dude's a major dude there and I ended up meeting him at a sneaker factory mm. and him and I just bumped heads connected at that particular moment and he's been taking me for a ride. So he's the one that introduced me to all these different factories. And he's the one that taught me that there are good factories in China. You just have to know where they are. So, you know, I've used some some factories from China, but then he connected me with Portugal. And then that's when I went to the uh, trade show in Vegas and I found the other ones. And then, you know, he's working with me right now to this day. As a matter of fact, he's the one that told you who I was that day okay. in, in L.A. So, yeah, it's my guy. So, it's again, it's a, it's a lot of stuff that goes on in this business. It's not as easy as just, you know, picking it up and just saying you want to do it. It's a lot of work that goes into this. So so how can they how can they buy the, the, the sneakers, the shoes, the merch? What's the website, social media, and all of that? All right, the website is bungiebrand.com, B-U-N-G-E-E-B-R-A-N-D, and our Instagram page is bungiebrand. You know what I mean? And then... uh. Our personal Facebook page, I have a personal Facebook page called Bungie Raymond. It's uh, B-U-N-G-E-E-R-A-I-M-E-N-T. And that's where we do like all the behind the scenes stuff. I don't put all that like on our Instagram business page. You know, I put that on our personal Facebook page so people can see what we're doing behind the scenes and how we're creating stuff. And well, it's like the process of everything. Yeah, that's yeah, dope. That's dope. Yeah. Dope. Yeah, yeah definitely support the brother. Um, but more so, I feel like the word shout out to Derek Falcon the word support is a little misleading because it's almost like you're doing somebody a favor by supporting them mm -hmm. if you if you like the, the the quality which is high level quality you never have to support Balenciaga yeah. you never you never hear yeah. people say I'm supporting Gucci mm -hmm. you like the product you buy it you buy it you don't, yeah. you don't negotiate prices you don't say it costs too much can I get a discount <laughs> You know, I've never seen it. Buy one, kill one. I've never seen it. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen anybody in a product store trying to haggle. I remember I was, I was with you in the barbershop. You don't remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we know. <laughs> respect, respect the luxury. Respect the entrepreneur. Respect the entrepreneur, for sure. Appreciate it, yeah. Troy, housekeeping items? Shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. Shout out to all our earners on EYL University, the number one place for everything in the world of business and entrepreneurs. Uh, that are just making a killing, man. Shout out to everybody that is spreading the word, telling a friend to tell a friend, and executing on information. Love is love. We we, we greatly appreciate you. And shout out to everybody that's supporting the mercy. I know we talked about footwear. Y'all got a vision for us. So uh, shout out to everybody that's supporting our merch. Uh, love is love. Keep keep grinding, y'all. Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. 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 Opportunity. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs>
my graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.